Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Job. The book of Job, chapter 1. And uh, let's pray this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you for a great day in the house of the Lord. It's great to be a part of the family of God. Lord, it's great to have a community of friends and family, Lord, who have our backs, who pray for us, who encourage us, who uplift us in the presence of God, who spur us on, oh God, keep us accountable. And Father, today I'm praying, Lord, we know that even in the midst of this congregation, there are those that we come from all walks of life, all backgrounds. We come with heavy hearts. Some are in a good season right now. Some are in a bad season right now. But Lord, we're here as a family. And Lord, help us, oh God, to just grow deeper together in unity and love, but also deeper in your presence, deeper in your spirit. And Lord, we're going to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So Father, we're here for you and we're here for one another this morning. And Lord, help us uh, as we open your word just to receive it by your spirit and apply it to our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Hey, we are so glad to have you here today at Sanctuary. And uh, we're talking about timeless testaments uh, in the book of Job. This morning, we've kind of gotten to that place, and we're going to tell this message, Why Me? And we're going to talk about lessons and loss. Why me? Lessons and loss. No doubt, if you're any length of age into maturity of an adulthood, you've probably asked, even teenagers, Why me, God? Uh, something could happen in your life. Uh, you lose a job, you lose uh, uh, possessions, your house burns down, or someone talks bad about you, or perhaps you've had a death in your family, you may get to that place to ask, why me, God? It's a very common question that we all ask. And uh, this, I've struggled really with this lesson today uh, just to kind of bring it all together because the book of Job is quite large and there's so much in there. And I was talking with our staff, uh, just talking about loss, that every person in this room has endured some sort of loss somehow, some way, some kind. And just even on our four staff members that we have that are in the office every week, uh, we just kind of talked this week about all the losses that we've had uh, in our life. And I kind of just be real this morning that, that just our, our, just, this is on our pastoral team. Uh, in my life, you know, I've, I've lost a grandfather, a best friend, and one of the students I've mentored uh, to suicide. Uh, I've, uh, Beth and I, we dealt with an illness in her body for two years that we had to put off raising children, uh, and we went through the, the adoption process and tried to find that, and all those doors were closed and it didn't work. We had to wait for a miracle, and that's Ariana, our first child. Um, you know, there, there's loss in our, Miss Evelyn, uh, we've, she was talking, you know, she's lost uh, a son, a husband, a daughter-in-law, a mother, uh, you know, that's just in our staff, uh, Miss Stacy, she's gone through miscarriages, and then they had their miracle. David, you saw him up here just a while ago. Uh, so he lost things like that. Pastor Christian, he talked about how he lost his health. He almost died of a stroke just a few years ago. And God kind of raised him back up again and called him back into ministry. You know, uh, he lost his health. We've all lost jobs. Uh, we've lost uh, financial things. We've, uh, we've uh, lost family members to drugs, to alcohol. Uh, there are lo- wayward ones that we love. We've lost to those things. Uh, there's other things we've lost uh, uh, from uh, personal things. I, I, we went just a few years ago, went through with uh, my mom, went through breast cancer, and we had to go through that process. And thank God that she's alive and doing well today. But every single one of us, uh, even, and that's just on our staff now, that's just four people, okay? Can I, I can't imagine what in this room you are all have done. If we could write down all the things we've lost, 
uh, and gone through things, it would just be monumental in this size room today. And every single person in this room is going to go through loss at some time in their life, whether it be a lost loved one, whether it be a job, whether it be finances, whether it be material possessions, whether it be a reputation, you're going to lose something. And Job, in this way, is the story of all of us. At the end of your life, most all of us in this room, should the Lord tarry, uh, we're going to lose our health and we're going to lose our life. You're probably going to bury some family and friends. You're probably going to get to the end of your life, and you've probably buried more people than you can remember. Some of you in this room have buried many people close to you. And that's the way it is for life. That is a part of life. And Job is that story. And unfortunately for Job, he lost it all in one moment. And we're going to learn how this righteous man dealt with that. But it is a story of all of us. And when loss comes in our lives, sometimes we get to this moment of blaming God. We ask questions they may not get the answer to. And we have to wonder, how do we continue to serve him as we endure loss? So turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 7. Let me give you the background. The Bible says there was this man named Job, and he was a wealthy, very uh, righteous man. He had thousands of sheep, camels, and oxen, and donkeys, and many servants, He had seven grown sons, three daughters. They loved each other, uh, and they ate family dinners all the time. And Job, man, being a righteous man of God, prayed for his family often, made sacrifices for them. He wanted to make sure every one of his kids went to heaven. He was just a good dad. Uh, It was a good family. Everybody loves his family. And and he's wealthy, and God had been blessing him. And he was blameless. The Bible says in Job 1.1, in fact, he was like no other man in his day. He was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And we go on in the book, Job is a guy, man, he helps the poor. He's a guy that never turns anyone away. He cares for orphans, for widows. He clothes the naked. Uh, he says that even the, despite all of his vast riches, he stayed humble. He kept giving things away. Uh, he even in his own life, in his marriage, he, he didn't look at other women and lust over them. He never committed adultery. He, didn't, he put away evil thoughts. And then when he did mess up, he was quick to repent and go make sacrifice and go back to God. That's just the kind of, he was a, a righteous man. And he knew in Job 28, 28, that the fear of the Lord is wisdom, this reverent, awe-shaking fear, this, this holy awe of God. Having that holy awe, he said, is wisdom, and to depart from evil is true understanding. To turn away from evil and turn to the Lord, that's when you know you really understand what life is all about. But in one day, and here we find this one day, angels presented themselves before the Lord. And one angel, this fallen angel, came named Satan, which his name is the accuser, the devil. And Job 1, 7 says this, For the Lord said to Satan, Where do you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? You're thinking, well, thanks, God. You know, right? Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? He's basically saying, God, the only reason he's serving you is because you bless him so much. The only reason he's serving you is because you're so good to him. And he's got all this stuff. Have you not made a hedge about him in his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions increased him in the land. But if you put forth your hand now and you touch all he has, he'll surely curse you to your face. And then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in now your power. Only do not put forth your hand against him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So God has all power. 
Satan accuses, says, hey, if, if this guy was to lose everything he had, he would surely curse your face, God. It's not that you're so good, God. It's that you've been so good to Job. And it's not for those reasons that he's just not going to serve you for no reason. He's only serving you because of stuff. And so he says, okay, try him. And so sitting in his house, this, I'm just paraphrasing, this messenger runs to Job. He says, man, Job, raiders from Cush, they've killed all your ox and your donkeys and your servant." And immediately then, as soon as that guy comes through one door, another guy comes through another door and he says, Hey, Job, uh, at that moment, he says, Meteors have fallen from the sky and they've burned up your sheep and your servants. Now, that would be a strange day in anybody's book, right? So you know God's doing something. Or so- What did you do? You, you, you crossed the road when you shouldn't. You did something uh, that, that really uh, maybe ticked God off. The meteors and fire fell from heaven, killed your sheep and your servants. And then immediately another one came and said, Now also Babylonian raiders, they take your camels and they've killed your servants. And then another one burst in, the worst of all. He said, Job, there was a tornado. The wind came and all of your kids were having that family dinner that they always loved to have together. They were all there and they were... They were drinking and they were eating and they were having a good time because you, you raised them so good. But man, a tornado came just out of nowhere and it took the house down and all 10 of your children are gone. Can you imagine at one singular moment, we all have those bad moments, you get a bad doctor's report on that one day or you find out you know, you've had a problem in your marriage and your spouse has cheated on you in that one day or maybe the, the report from the baby doctor wasn't good or there's just been things you get to work and your job is gone. We all have those moments where something just out of the blue, nowhere we weren't expected, it all happened. In this moment for Job, it was beyond extraordinarily huge. It was that his kids were gone. His wealth was gone. His everything in his life was gone. And look in verse 20. What was the response? Job arose. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. And he fell to the ground. This is intentional, by the way. You don't just shave your head real quick, those of you who are guys. He tore his robe, went to the bathroom, took a few moments, shaved his head, processed it all, probably quiet. He went outside, and he fell to the ground, and he said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, the Bible says Job did not sin, nor he blamed God. Clearly, God had allowed it to happen, but he did not blame God. And so again, Satan comes again on another day. We don't know how long that went from that time to then, but Satan comes back again and says, all right, God, God says to Satan, Satan, what have you been doing? He says, hey, I've been walking around. He said, did you check out my servant Job? He didn't curse me. He didn't blame me. He's still upright. He's still a blameless man. He's still holy and righteous in heart. And Satan says, yeah. Sure, but every man has his limits. And if you touch his body, if you would allow him to suffer, he surely will curse you to your face. He doesn't just serve you for no reason. It's if you touch him, push him to his limits, and we'll see if he thinks you're still a good God. Push him to his limits, and we'll see if he doesn't break and curse you and say that you're worthless, God. So Satan says, okay, Try him, but don't kill him. 
And in that moment, Satan goes down and he curses Job uh, or he brings boils upon Job, blistering, oozing boils, painful sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet now, covered in oozing painful sores. He even had to get a piece of pottery and scrape the ooze and the pus off of his painful sores. And he sat there destitute, alone, in an ash heap, mourning, and morning and morning and eventually his wife comes and some friends come and he is so distorted in pain and agony that his three friends sit there for seven days not able to say a word because of the immense pain that he was enduring emotionally and physically and the trial for job has just begun because the instantaneous moment we may can handle a little bit right then and we can kind of just those Bible verses come to us, or God gives you that little bit of supernatural power to get through that moment of loss. I remember when I preached my grandfather's funeral, I went up to the pulpit trying to preach. It was a sudden thing. It wasn't expected. And I come up to the pulpit, and I just begin to burst into tears, not able to even handle my words. But then the anointing came on to me, and we preached revival, and a couple people got saved at his funeral. But it was that moment I could kind of compose myself for a little bit. But then it goes on, and you begin to mull over this stuff. And you, you're alone, and the funeral's over, and things begin to happen in your life. You realize your job has ended, and you know the report from the doctor has already come and gone, and you got through that initial shock. And then real life sets in, right? Everybody leaves. They take their food away, and all this stuff goes. And then it's like you alone with your thoughts. That's sometimes not a good place to be. Why do they treat me that way? What is, what's God doing and why? And Job gets to that place. And while he was righteous and blameless then, man, real life set in. And in this moment, Job is about to be tested. He's about to be tested by three of his friends, who I think Satan will use, and his spouse, and begin to work on Job. And what follows here, and I'm not going to be able to give you the whole book. I'd encourage you to read the whole book in a translation that makes sense to you this week and apply this. But I'm going to give you five lessons through the next several chapters that we can take in that Job was going to have to learn, this real human, this real man. And here's five lessons in loss. And the number one is this. Remember, God is sovereign. Remember, God is sovereign. From the very beginning of the story, Job has feared the Lord, it says, and has this reverent awe, so much so that when everything's taken away, Job, his, his first response is to worship God. We've got to get to that place in our lives that we've got to be ready for whatever comes our way. That We are so into a love relationship, a reverent, holy awe of God, that it wasn't, Job would have never made it had he not have a lifestyle of reverent awe to God. And that reverent awe allowed him to initially worship God. And remember, he was sovereign. Now you have to remember, Job never knew that Satan and God had this thing going on. He did not know, but he knew that there was a God who sat on the throne. And you and I, as readers of the story, we get to see that in this moment, God was never not in control. God allowed Satan power. God was always on the throne. And that you and I, when we come to situations in our life, we've got to remember there is a God who is sovereign, who is in control of even the most evilest person, the most evilest being in the world. God has limits on his power and authority. So when you feel like everything's spiraling out of control, we come to that moment and we say, but I know the truth is this. God is still on the throne. Amen? So number one, that's something you have to hold on to. Job wasn't always aware. He didn't even know the why. 
He didn't know why God allowed this to happen. He didn't know what Satan was up to. He didn't know what God was up to. And you may not always know the why. Why did I lose my job? How come I couldn't have children? Or how come this happened to me? Or how come so-and-so had to go too early? We may not always know the why. And it may not come without temptation. Satan's interest was that Job would curse God. He wanted him to curse God. He wants you to curse God. He wants you to give up on God. He wants God to get the blame. He wants God to be that that we wouldn't worship God for no reason. That's what he was saying. Job doesn't worship you just for no reason, God. He worships you because you've been so good to him. But if you'd remove your hand, God, he'd surely curse you because you're really not that good of a God just by yourself. And we're going to prove Satan wrong. I mean, I'm in. I want to prove Satan wrong and say, I don't care what God does to me or what he doesn't do. He saved my soul and that's enough. Come what may, God is sovereign. He's on the throne. And so he gets to that point. But then there's all these buttons that begin to push. His wife comes to him one day and she says, Job, how are you holding on so hard? So, well, our children are gone. You're sitting here in an ash heap. We're poor. The 401k is wiped out. We've got nothing. You've got no estate. You've got no estate to pass even to kids because you don't got any kids. God hates you. Why don't you just curse God and die? You know what? I, I think this week I was praying over this sermon. I think she was telling him to kill himself. I really do. I think that she was saying, just end it. If God won't help you, just do it. Get over with it. God doesn't love you anyway. It's over. Just do it. And let me tell you something. If you've ever dealt with suicidal thoughts or you know someone who has, we have to get back to the truth, that that first point, that God is on the throne. One night I was, uh, I'd been ministering to a a young man uh, for years, and he calls me one night and he says, I've got a gun to my head. I'm about to pull the trigger. And in that moment, I love this kid with all my heart, stayed in my house, tried to get him help. He was living on the street, uh, dealing with drugs and all kinds of stuff. And he has that gun, and I, I don't know where he is, and I'm tell, trying to tell him, tell him to tell me where you are because I'm going to have the police come pick you up, and I'm not gonna, I wasn't even going to tell him. I was going to be there, and the police are going to be with me. And I just begin to tell him the honest, bold truth. That if you want to pull the trigger, I, now after this was an hour-long conversation, but I said, but here's the reality. There is life, there is death, there is heaven, there is hell. Do you know, if you pull that trigger, where you're going to be? Because there is a God who sets the rules of this whole thing. He He has His Word. And I began to explain to him what hell would be like and what life without God would be like, because at this moment he wasn't saved. And, and I just had to tell him that this, it was on me in that moment and thank the Lord that it worked and, and, and we ended up getting him some help and, and finding him and all that kind of thing. But there has to come a moment in, in our lives where we say God is sovereign. He sets the rules of who is good, who is bad, what is life, what is death, what is salvation, what is, what is going to get me to that place where I'm saved and what's going to lead me to hell. He has uh, set these boundaries And Job says, I can't kill myself. I can't curse God. Look at Job 2.10. He says, you speak like a fool, woman. I'm not telling you marriage counseling right here, but that's what he said. He said, shall we accept good from God, but not also accept adversity? It says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This guy longed for death And his wife's encouraging him, I believe, to kill himself. But he refuses to take his life out of God's hand, basically saying, 
even in my depression and in my despair, if God wants me dead, he'll take me home. God's sovereign. Who am I to take my life out of the hand of God? Who am I to say what is right and what's wrong? God says what's good and what's bad. He defines blessing and cursing. He orders life and orders death. And so, no, I can't take my life out of his hand. No, I can't speak evil about him because he's God. Number two, don't ignore pain. Don't ignore pain. God's sovereign, but don't ignore pain. Job's three friends came, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Zophar, And they they could hardly recognize Job. They sat with him for seven days, not spoken a word. Because you know what? Emotional pain is just the same as physical pain. Somebody might tell you the otherwise. Just get over it. No, no, no. Emotional pain is real pain. Depression is real. Anxiety is real. Emotional hurt and heartache is real. And in this moment, Job sits for seven days in silence just trying to process life. And, and sometimes in these moments, the best thing you can say is nothing at all. You get a family or friend or a person going through this stuff. Sometimes just being there is all you need. To, one of my, my pastor uh, mentors, he, and I said, what do I do when I go to a funeral, when I've got to preach a funeral, I've got to go to these hospital visits all the time. He says, sometimes just be there. Don't have to, we feel like sometimes I've got to find a Bible verse. I've got to find some inspiring quote. I've got I've to tell you how to get through this. Sometimes you just have to go through it. Sometimes you just got to sit there in silence, put your arm around somebody and weep with them and hug them and just be there for them. You don't have to fix it. God's not asked you to fix that person. Just be with that person, all right? Emotional pain's real. The Bible says in Romans 12, you're to weep with those in the church who are weeping. You're to be the arms and, and hands of Jesus Christ. There was a girl, uh, and one uh, pastor told me one time that she came into the back of the church and sat down. One of the ushers, a uh, lady usher, asked, hey, can I just, I feel like, can I just give you a hug? Can I just give you a hug? And, and this young person just began to weep because she said, I haven't gotten a hug in years. My family's this way. I'm, I'm disowned, and all of my life's a wreck. And, and they, that was just a God moment for her to get a hug from somebody because that's the body of Christ. That's what we're about. We're to weep with those who weep and sit with those. But here's the deal. Sometimes even when we begin to talk, Job's friends begin to talk and try to fix Job. And most of the whole book is about them and their conversation with Job. And the first guy, Eliphaz, after the seven days, he began to talk about his life experience. Don't you love it when people say, well, I've been there too. I know what you're going through. And you're thinking, no, you don't. Just leave me alone, right? That's the first guy. Bill, dad, he began to talk about religion, what religion says. You know, the Bible says this. If you just quote these verses, here's what's going to happen in your life. And Job's like, okay, whatever. Zophar, he talked about how good men are rewarded by their merit. And all these friends, they had this belief back then. And many still do today. If you're a good person, life will work out well for you. If you're a good person, everything's going to be a bed of roses. If, if you're a good person, if you do what God says, God rewards the righteous, he curses the wicked. And they begin to tell Job, Job, there's got to be some secret sin in your life that you're going through all this stuff. There's got to be something you did to tick God off, that God would remove his hand from you. And Job began to struggle with this. I mean, he was up and he was down and he was going through this pain. He lost his kids, his wealth, and his friends are here giving him religious quotes. They're sending him daily Bible verses, and they're posting things on his wall about this cute little dog and how everybody feels sorry for you. They're doing all these things to help them get through it. And Job's like, guys, I know all those Bible verses. I understand. I've read the Bible. I know. I've done it. I've been righteous. But I'm in something right now, and it's real. And you may not understand it. And they couldn't comprehend what Job was going through. 
And that should be a lesson for us, church. Not that we're not telling people the truth and not that we're not loving on people. But sometimes we can really make people feel like they've gone through, they're going through a really bad thing, feel like they're less than perfect Christians because they have real pain. And who needs friends, who needs enemies when Job had friends like that, right? Job says, I mean, I don't have any secret sin. I don't know why this is happening. And he turns and he, Job realizes in chapter 7, he says, you know, basically, you know, sometimes life is just a struggle for both godly people and for both wicked people. In the end, God's going to sort it all out. But in this life right now, sometimes good people go through bad things. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. We're in a sin-filled world. The world is chaotic. One's rich, one's poor. One has good health, one has bad health. But Job says, but both are going to be buried in the same ground. You can be rich, you can be poor. You can be good health, you can be bad health. But we're all going to go to the same place. We're all going to stand before God. And there's pain, there's suffering, there's loss in this world, and it's all part of being human. And do we have empathy for people in pain? Number three, be honest. Be honest with God, be honest with others, and be honest with yourself. Job, if anything, in this whole book, man, this guy gets on the edge. He begins to blame God, question God, accuse God, and out of the same voice, the same breath, he begins to praise God. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had those bipolar moments in your life or not, but he is in one minute, why in the world is this happening to me? God, I know you're good. I know you're awesome. I know that you're God. But man, God, you really screwed it up because I can't believe. But Lord, I know that everything is going to be okay because those that walk in the path. But yes, God, you are going through this moment. And God, how can you? And so that's Job. And so he got honest. He began to give honest with his friends. He, he was honest, man, I don't have any sin issues. And if you do, you need to confess them to your friends. James tells us, confess your fault to one another and then be healed. That we've got to be able to confess things and be honest. Man, I am struggling. Hey, hey man, my marriage is a wreck. Please help me. Man, my finances are a joke. Help me. Uh, he was just honest with his friends. And Job didn't have anything. And he got honest with God. He was up and down. When he was coming on nights of weary misery, in chapter 3, verse 1, he begins to curse the day he was born. This is a righteous man now. This is a man who loves God, a man who'd worked through all the program steps. He knew everything in these scripture verses. He could quote the Bible. He says, I wish I was never even born. God even tells God, I wish you'd just leave me alone. How's that for honesty? God, I wish you'd leave me alone. God, I wish you'd just stop it. Because you're doing this to me, and I wish you would just leave me alone. Why are you doing this to me? And he told his friends, don't I have a right to complain about God? (laughs) Whoa, choke on your words there much, right? I mean, he's like, rein it back in, Job. And his friends are like, you can't talk that way about God. You can't be that honest with God on how you are. You know what? God never rebuked Job for his honesty. I remember when my friend committed suicide. I'd been trying to lead him to the Lord for years. Six years I've been trying to lead this young man to the Lord. And he committed suicide. And for a year I had lost touch with him because I think the devil was taking him from me. And I remember driving to work that night. I worked nights at a juvenile detention center. And I remember just yelling, screaming, snotty, crying at God. God, how in the world would you put this burden for this young man on me. So I'm, I, I prayed for this guy hours, just interceding hours for him, 
led him to the Lord. I'm just trying to, he came to church a few times, he'd fall away. And I just prayed out. I'm just like, God, I had a burden for his soul. I was responsible for him. And he, he had nobody else. And yet this happened. How could you? That was probably the worst season of my life for a while. I was in a dark place for about a year and a half. And it was that time that I had a transition in ministry. We went to our, our first assembly of God at that time. Because I just lost the, I lost the fire. I didn't care about the Holy Spirit baptism. And inter, it just going for it. It's like, I'm just tired. And I'm tired of trying. And I'm tired of pressing in and trying to get revival for my ministry. And pressing in and trying to move people. Because if I put all this effort in, and then they go and they kill themselves, what's the point? Is honest. You have to be honest with God. You know, biblical cliches, they may be true. Those little punchy verses and, and the, every, everybody likes to share those one-liner pastor quotes from these popular pastors and whoo, here's a little hoorah for the day. Those all may be true, but if you're not honest with God and yourself and other people, they're just sayings. They're just words. They're just words. Emotional pain is a process that you've got to go through. And Job, in one moment, is blaming God and he's praising God. But he was always honest with God. And he never turned his back on him. That's the thing. Job never, what we do sometimes in this life is uh, we get mad with God and then we stop going to church, we stop praying, we stop reading our Bible, we stop talking to God, we stop dealing with the problem. We want to run from it. We want to ignore the pain and hopefully it will go away. But we know this in, in, in this life, it doesn't. Job actually began to do the opposite. He began to press through that pain and began so honest with God that it almost would turn other people off how honest he was. But God respected that about Job. He didn't deny God. He, in fact, addressed the issue with God. So remember God's sovereign. Don't ignore the pain. Be honest. And number four, admit you're not strong enough. You're not strong enough. His friends kept telling him how to be a godlier person, and Job realized on his best days, man, even before God, he says in chapter 9, verse 20, nobody is innocent. I've done all these awesome things, and I don't even know why this has happened to me. I'm not strong enough to go through this on my own anymore. And, and he's like, maybe I did sin. I don't know. Maybe I did. I'm so confused now if I was holy or not. And we know that he was. And God never says that he wasn't. But he got to this level, man, I'm blaming God, I'm questioning God, and is prideful in his loss, and he got prideful and arrogant in his suffering. And it's like, I don't deserve this, I, I didn't ask for this, and it's not worth, I'm not, I'm too good for this suffering. And he began to get really into a bad place. But there was a moment in his life, while his friends are making him feel like an inferior believer, by the way, he, he, he gets to accept what he's going through. He takes to a moment, he says, you know what, I, I know, apart from God, maybe I do deserve hell. And I don't know why this has happened to me, God. I don't even know why I'm still alive. And he's in this dark place of gloom and confusion. In chapter 30, he says, I feel like God is just a million miles away. He's not answering my prayers. I don't feel his presence anymore. That's where I am. But then he turns, and he's, despite all of his good works, he gets to this moment, he says, you know what? I am powerless over death. If I wanted to be raised a new life, who am I over the grave? And, and, and I couldn't resurrect myself again in a new life. I, I, can't, I can't, if I was separated from God, what could I do? And so in this moment, in chapter 16, he cries out, he says, I need 
a mediator. And he would not understand how prophetic this was for you and for I today because in the midst of all this stuff in this life, God was trying to get Job to realize something that if, if he didn't have anything at all, he still had God. And that for you and for I today, as we go through this life and weight and loss and suffering goes on our, gets on our plate, that we can turn that you and I have this mediator, his name is Jesus Christ, who bore our burdens on the cross for us, and that he who suffered, he was with no sin, and yet he endured all sin for you and for me. Jesus lost his father. He lost his reputation. He lost money. He lost fame. He lost his position in heaven. He, in that day, he lost his best friends. He lost his own life. He lost his innocence for you and for me. And he endured all things. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you and for me. We have a mediator that when he said, God is a million miles away. We've got a mediator who walked this dirty life with us. And he put on our sin and our shame. And so when we fall short and we're in despair and suffering and death, all you've got to do is cry out for your mediator, Jesus Christ. Look what he says in Job 19, verse 25. When he gets to that point, he says, God, I'm not strong enough. I need you. He says, as for me, I know. Look at this prophetic statement he gives. As for me, this is a guy I don't feel like he has the Holy Spirit. He's prophesying, by the way. He says, as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last day, he'll take his stand on the earth. And even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God. No matter what's going to come my way, I know when, it, when I get to that grave, I'm going to see him. He's still going to be sitting on the throne. I need an intercessor for me, and I know prophetically my Redeemer lives. I've got someone who's on my side. The devil is the prosecuting attorney, but I've got the best defense attorney heaven's money can buy, and his name is Jesus. And he's going to defeat, and he has defeated that prosecuting attorney who wants me to curse God and die and bring sickness and suffering and death on my life. But thanks be to God that my defense has been made on the cross, that I'll not see death, I'll see God. So lastly is this, is trust in God. Many days of struggling, many days of arguing with his friends. He has this young man come out of the woods, Elihu. And this young man says, I've been silent for a long enough. I've seen you guys for months. You guys have been arguing about this stuff. Your three friends, Job, they've been accusing you. They're false. They're wrong. But Job, you're kind of wrong too. Man, you've probably pushed the limit on what you should say to God. But let me tell you something. And he sums it up and he basically says, God is God and God is good. And who can ask all these mysteries of God? And in fact, Job, you've pushed the limit a little bit. You're probably a little too prideful in your suffering and your loss and what you said to God. And by the way, your, your friends are just all religious. They're wrong too. All of you guys have said good things, but you've all said bad things. And you're all confused. Why don't you just let God speak for himself and turn to God? And he was a little arrogant. This little young man, he had some issues and some of the things he said too. But at the end of it, he basically said, God is God. Who are we? And in that moment, a whirlwind came, a, a tornado maybe. And God began to speak to Job in the midst of this tornado. 
And he, look with me in Job chapter 38, verse 4. He basically says, Job, you've put me on trial. Job, you've been questioning why. You've been blaming me and accusing me. And who am I to be put on trial? You've got all these questions about me, Job. You've, you've tried to question my righteousness. You've questioned my goodness in your suffering. I know you're a good man, Job. I love you. And, and, and you've been doing great things. But right now, let me just tell you something. I want you to be quiet for a minute while I remind you about something. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. I love that. Who determined its dimensions and stretching out of the surveying line? What supports its foundations? Who laid it cornerstone of it? As the morning stars, they sang together with all the angels and everybody shouted for joy. Where were you, Job? He goes on, he says, are you the one that keeps the seas and the boundaries, Job? Are you the one that sets the constellations in place, Job, do you know where light begins and darkness ends? Job, do you make sure the lioness knows how to teach her cub how to hunt for prey? Job, are you there when the mountain goats are being born? Job, are you, are you setting all of these things in place? Do you keep the world spinning, Job? Do you know what's going on on the edges of the universe, Job? Because guess what? I do. I'm God. I got this whole thing figured out, Job. I know everything about everything. And there may be something I want to do that you may not know. And you have to remember something, Job. I'm the creator. You're the creation. God is God and God is good. Sometimes you may not get an answer you're looking for. There may not be an answer this side of heaven that God can reveal to you of why things happened the way they did. Job never knew about the argument between Satan and God until glory. He never knew. You see, your story and my story may not always have to make sense, but we just have to trust in the truth of God's word that God is God and God is good. And at that, that Job says, oops. He says in chapter 40, verse 3, he says, I'm nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I'm going to cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much. Already, I've got nothing more to say. See, Job had failed to blaming and questioning God, and so God reminded him, man, I'm the creator. And Job says, God, I've only, in chapter 42, verse 5, I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I've said. I sit in the dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job gets to the end of his self, pushed to the very limit, loses everything, and finally he realizes, you know what? God is still worthy of all my praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At the end of it all, God is still God. And if he can hold this whole world together, he can hold your life together. Isn't that true? If he can hold the stars in place and we're spinning millions of miles around the circular uh, solar system and the world is spinning and we're on an axis and there's a moon and stars and tidal waves and all the things that rains every day and birds are chirping and the grass is growing and everything's still working. We feel like, God, my life's broken. He's like, I got this. Every day I make the sun rise for you. Every day I make it set for you. Every day the moon comes out. Every day the tide comes in and goes out. I make it all happen. I'm still involved in your life. 
I still have a plan and a purpose for it. And so Job gets to this moment. He says, Job, I want you to pray for your friends because they were religious and I rebuked them. And Job began to pray for his friends and get his thoughts off himself, by the way. That's a good sermon point right there. Get your thoughts off yourself. Go pray for somebody else. God blesses his fortunes twice as much as before. The second half of Job's life becomes more blessed than the first. He gets seven other sons, three more daughters, more beautiful than anyone in the world. And he lives for another 140 long years and a full life because God is God and God is good. You know, sometimes suffering may be a discipline for sin. Sometimes it may be a test of faith. But sometimes it may just be beyond your understanding. But in your loss, we can sometimes forget God is God and God is good. But if he sustains the whole world, he can sustain us. Remember what Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. and He'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Have that reverent awe for God and turn away from evil. Think about this. Job never had a revelation of why. But he had a revelation of who. Job never had a revelation of why this happened. But he had a revelation of who God is. That's good enough. You may not get answers this side of heaven. And you get that revelation. But you can get a revelation of a holy God. Who sent his son to be your redeemer. To redeem you from the pit. To give intercession for you and your sins. To make a way that when this life is over. You will see God. God works all things together for those good. Who love God. They're called according to his purpose. And he knew you. And he predestined you to become formed into the image of his son. That Christ would be the firstborn among many children. God may be making you look a lot more like Jesus Christ than you're ready for. Jesus suffered more than anybody else. And he may want you to be a little bit more like his son. But he says, I'm doing this for your good, so you'll look like Jesus a little bit more. Amen? Worship team, would you come? You can have all of God even when you have nothing at all. You can have all of God even when you have nothing at all. Father God, I just thank you today for the life of Job, that it was raw, that it's honest. Lord, and that you were dealing with Job, even in his questions and his doubts and his depression and his loss and his suffering. Lord, that you are so good and you are always God. And Father, I pray for every person in in this room. Lord, we are all going to endure loss and suffering in some way in our life. Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it will be tomorrow. But God, that you are still going to be on the throne and that we can trust in you in all things and that come what may, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I know my Redeemer lives and I shall see the Lord. And we want to have a revelation of you today.